Welcome to the Real Life Weight Loss Podcast, where we cut through the confusion and get down to the truth about what really works for real people when it comes to losing weight, having incredible health, and a body that you love. We believe that losing weight is really about gaining life, doing things you never thought you could, having renewed confidence, and enjoying your body more than ever. I'm your host, Corey Little. Now let's get to it. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back. I have a lot to pack into today's episode, so we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump right in because we are taking head on. We are tackling one of the biggest issues, right? One of the biggest obstacles standing between us and our goals when it comes to fitness and weight loss, and that is overeating. And you may think like, Corey, you you don't know anything about overeating. Like you're Mr. Nutrition Fitness Guy and you've been doing this for 20 years and you have degrees in it and certifications, so you don't get it. But I'm telling you, nothing could be further from the truth. So, so as many of you know, I was a competitive bodybuilder for about 10 years. And whenever you prepare for a bodybuilding contest, I, I call it strategic starvation. I'm not saying this is good or bad or I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just telling you when this is all for a very specific point and purpose. Like when you get ready to step on stage for a contest, it's vital that you get your body fat as low as possible. And to do this, you really kind of strategically starve yourself. You starve away every little last ounce of fat that you can while working to maintain as much muscle mass as you can. So you can imagine once the contest is over, your body's like, uh, okay, dude, I'm starving. Would you please give me some freaking food? And now different people have different philosophies for post-contest. Some people gradually increase their food intake I'll be completely honest with you. I was never that disciplined. I would try to do that, but then I would just start like this one or two week pig out session where where I would regain like 10 to 12, maybe 15 pounds in a week or two. And it would all level out in the process. And it probably wasn't the best route, but it's just, it's just kind of what I did and what I fell into. So here's a, so, so here's a quick little story related to that. My dear friend that I grew up with, he and I both love eating a delicious meal together. So it was about four or five days after a contest and I was starving and I had not eaten pizza in forever. So we went to a pizza buffet and my friend was not very supportive of me doing this gradually. He sat across from me and watched and kind of snickered and laughed as I ate more and more and more. And like a lot of pizza buffets, this pizza buffet had like the dessert pizza with the cinnamon and sugar and all these sorts of things. And I would eat some of that and then I would eat more pizza and I would go back and forth and back and forth. And I was so full. I was absolutely miserable. I hurt up into my, like through my, I thought my stomach was going to burst. I hurt up into my chest and up into my neck. And I remember getting home and thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. Like I'm beyond miserable. Like I feel like my my torso is going to burst. And eventually my body was somehow able to process all of that crap that I poured in. But whenever I think of overeating, that is one of the biggest examples I think of. It, It was that night at that pizza buffet with my dear friend not saying, hey, Corey, maybe you should slow down. My dear friend just cheering me on. Go get some more. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get some more. And I was horribly miserable. And and this is the case for some of us maybe more times than we would like to admit, right? We eat more than we want to eat. And maybe you're not as miserable as I just described myself, but you're miserable. You're like, man, oh, there's a lady in my coaching group and she calls it um, mad full. 
I think that's what she says. Basically, she eats to the point where she gets mad. She's like, well, I'm mad at myself. Why did I do that? Why did I eat, overeat to the point that I'm so miserable? This is one of the most common problems and struggles and challenges that we face, is it not? It's one of the biggest things that stands between us and our goals. And so it, it can become like this never-ending, like teeth-gritting battle, like where we feel like it's us against overeating. Like, how do I stop this? I have to grit my teeth and fight with all of my might to try to not overeat. Well, today you're going to learn about the different players, the different uh things that are in that battle, the different players that are in that battle. But first, before we move forward, this is so important. We have to ask the question, is it just overeating? Or is it legitimate binging in some form of disordered eating? So I've touched on this before on the podcast, many, many, many episodes before, but I just want to go over these very quickly because if you have some form of legitimate disordered eating and you're, you're binging or binging on a somewhat regular basis. Look, there's, there's no shame. There's no embarrassment. You're still an amazing, incredible person, but it would be really beneficial for you to get some professional help. We all need professional help in different areas of life. So if this is you, I'm going to read through some symptoms and signs of legitimate binging and disordered eating. And if this is you, man, contact a, a great therapist or, you know, a counselor or someone to help you navigate this and work through this. And then if it's not you, if this is, if you are not suffering from disordered eating or binging, then we're going to get into the rest of the episode and you can track along and follow along. And I think you'll find it really helpful. So the signs and symptoms, some, some of the signs and symptoms for legitimate binging are feeling that your eating is totally out of your control during the binge. It's like maybe you want to stop, but you just can't. Like it's legitimately out of your control. Next up is being very upset, like emotionally upset by your binge eating. It's not just like, oh my gosh, I'm so full. Why did I do that? Like it, it, it impacts you emotionally. Next, do you binge eat at least once a week? And has it been going on for two, three, four months? Usually uh, psychologists and psychiatrists say that binge eating takes place at least once per week for at least three months. And, and that's when they will kind of classify it as a problem. That needs to be addressed. Next up, are you eating extremely fast when you're binging? Uh, a lot of us will speed up our eating once we're once we're eating a food that we really really enjoy. It's not necessarily that. It's it's eating extremely fast with that out of control feeling, and then it's eating well beyond feeling full. It's not just like oh I'm full I'm gonna have a few more bites. It's I'm gonna like I did at the pizza buffet. You know it's you're gonna keep going and keep going to the point that it's. It's really way, way past feeling full. Do you eat large amounts of food when you're not hungry? I mean, this is a case where we can see that it's ob this food intake is obviously driven by something else other than physical hunger, right? So eating large amounts of food when you're not hungry, eating alone to hide how much you're eating from someone else or from other people, and then feeling bad about yourself after a binge, which comes back to you know, being emotionally impacted by the binge eating. And then last but not least on this sign of, uh, or on this, excuse me, this list of symptoms and signs is trying to make up for a binge with extremes like uh, throwing up or doing some sort of severe restriction afterwards, or maybe doing tons of exercise. Like maybe you binge on a Sunday and therefore on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you work out two or three times per day. So those are 
some of the symptoms and signs of disordered eating when it comes to legitimate binging. And again, if that is you, zero shame, zero guilt, zero embarrassment, no worries, but it would probably be really beneficial to contact a qualified therapist to help you navigate that and overcome that. Now, for the rest of us idiots, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's me. I'm me. That's me talking to me. The rest of us people who just, man, sometimes we just overeat. And it, we don't classify here based off those signs and symptoms, but we just eat more than we want to eat sometimes. And uh, it just makes us crazy and it, it keeps us from achieving our goals. Then we're going to get into all of the different things that impact that and then how you can combat overeating. And I'm going to jump to the punchline right here, okay? One of the themes that I talk about on this podcast and one of the themes for today's episode, it all, everything, all of this comes down to one thing, and that is awareness. Awareness, overall awareness, and awareness in the moment, like real time when you're eating. Awareness is so huge. And you're going to hear me talk about that again and again and again. You've heard me say on the podcast before, If I have cancer growing in my body, but I'm not aware of it, I can't do anything about it. Awareness is essential. If there are termites eating your home, but you don't know the termites are destroying and eating your home from the inside out, you have no awareness. You're powerless. Without awareness, we are powerless. So, so many of the things I'm going to share with you today are to increase your level of awareness so that as you move into tomorrow and your next week and the next month of your life, you can begin to practice more and more awareness and to strengthen that awareness muscle. So let's get into it. There are basically three players. There are three things that impact your food choices and the amount of food that you eat. Your brain, your body, and your emotions. In the intersection of these, the intersection of your brain and your thoughts, your body, which is like that true physical hunger, and then your emotions, the intersection of these three things is where all your food choices come from, and it's what determines how much you eat. But first, here's the thing, (laughs) you must be aware, you must be aware that you always have a choice. You always have the power to choose. So many of us think, oh, I don't know, I just get swept into my food. Okay, if that's the case, then maybe that's a sign or symptom of a form of disordered eating. But But if that's not you and you're still listening, then you have to embrace that, wait a minute, this is in my control. I have a choice. I am aware. I am aware that I can monitor These three systems, I can monitor my brain, I can monitor my body, I can monitor my emotions, and I have power to change not only what I eat, but how much I eat. And here's the thing, you may think, well, Corey's about to tell me, just listen to my body, just listen to my body, and don't pay attention to my emotions or my brain. No, 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 no. No single one thing should dominate. I'm not going to tell you to always listen to your body or to always, you know, use your brain to do this or do that. No. No one item, no one system between your brain, your body, or your emotions is always right. Making the best food choices is a matter of checking in and communicating with all three of these. So let's dig into each of these a little bit more, and then I'll conclude by giving you some very practical steps to help you overcome overeating. You ready? Here we go. So number one, we have the body your body, your physical body, and all the systems that keep you alive and functioning. And here's the truth when it comes to your body that some people don't realize. Your body doesn't want. It needs, and it ultimately gets what it needs. It will get what it needs, like it or not. 
The important thing to understand here is that most of the time, if you're feeling a craving, it's not your body. Your body doesn't like most of the time. There are exceptions, but most of the time your body's not like, ooh, you really need some chocolate cake. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's your brain or your emotions. Your body needs food and water to survive. And that's what I call true physical hunger. You guys have heard me talk about the five different types of hunger before. We're not going to get into those today. But that's true physical hunger. Sadly, many of us have a hard time even detecting this true hunger because we're so accustomed to allowing our brain and emotions to dominate our food choices. Now, we'll get more into those, into the brain and the emotions in just a minute. But right now, I'd like to point out a few other triggers when it comes to your body, a few what I call biochemical triggers that can make this whole physical hunger thing kind of tricky. Number one is if you're experiencing a blood sugar roller coaster. So if you're eating a lot of processed foods or a lot of very high sugar foods that your body digests and processes very quickly and your blood sugar skyrockets up and then it drops like a rock, this is the blood sugar roller coaster. And this can cause you to have cravings. This can cause you to feel hungry, think you're hungry when you're really not that hungry. And that's one of the biggest things that I try to help people do as I teach them about food and food groups and food choices and when they're eating is to stabilize and kind of really smooth out this blood sugar roller coaster. So that's number one. Another big biochemical trigger is the salt and sugar seduction. <laughs> what I like to call the salt and sugar seduction. This is almost akin to an addiction. It can be for some people. There have been, uh, there's been research that shows that this salt sugar combo can light up some of the same areas in the brain that drug addicts experience the same areas of your brain that a drug addict's brain lights up when they get a hit of whatever drug they're addicted to. So the salt sugar seduction can be really tricky. And I get it. My wife and I, we love our desserts and our sweets. And sometimes we love to have a little something salty with it, but you just have to be aware of this and be very careful with it. If it's leading you to really overeat next up, number three on the biochemical triggers is under eating. Some people, oh my goodness, I see this so many times. People will undereat all day long. They'll undereat all the way to dinner, and then it's just blah, and then they just, it's a free-for-all at dinner and all the way until they go to bed. And then they wonder why they have no discipline at night. It's not that you have no discipline at night. It's that you're freaking starving once dinner comes. Or for some other people, it's not just throughout the first part of their day until they get to dinner. They will undereat, undereat, undereat day after day after day until they just can't take it anymore. And then boom, maybe it's Thursday or Friday, the weekend's here. And then they wonder, why can't why I just need to get my weekends in order? Why do, why do I struggle so much on my weekends? It's because you're starving yourself all week long. I, I encourage people, I teach people inside my inner coaching inner circle coaching group. We we want to just slightly tilt the scales in our favor. No pun intended. I'm not talking about the scales in your bathroom. We want to just slightly tilt things in our favor when it comes to weight loss. And when you undereat to a to a drastic extent, it's a massive shift and your body doesn't like it. And your body, remember, it will get what it needs. It wants to stay at homeostasis. It doesn't want to change. So biochemical trigger number three is undereating. Next up, number four is not enough water. So many people so many people think they drink water, but they don't. They don't drink enough water. And here's the thing. If you are not getting enough fluid, enough water consistently throughout your day, our body's thirst mechanism is really weak. It's, it's hard to determine sometimes whether we're thirsty or hungry. And so your body's just like, just give me something with moisture. So you might start craving or wanting a food that has fluid in it, that has water in it, because you're 
you're not hungry, you're just thirsty, but you can't differentiate. You can't tell the difference. The easiest way to solve this problem is to just drink plenty of water. Drink water all day long. In my coaching group, we drink two to three liters of water per day. Plenty of water. Next up, biochemical trigger number five, this is the last one, is a chronic nutrient deficiency. Um, if you are chronically, not not meaning for one day or two days, but like day after day, week after week, if there's a specific nutrient that you're really deficient in, then you might start craving that. You might start craving that and, or, excuse me, let me, let me clarify. Your body will want that nutrient. Let's say magnesium, for example. You've had a magnesium deficiency ongoing for days and days and weeks and weeks. And you've been sweating a lot with your workouts and you lose a lot of magnesium when you sweat and you're not eating much magnesium. So your body will just make you start craving foods or uh, make you just hungrier overall because it, it can't tell you, your body can't say, hey, hey there, knock, knock. Hey, listen, we need more magnesium. So please go eat this food. It can't say that. It just says, please eat, please eat, please eat because we're deficient in magnesium. This is one of the biggest reasons that I encourage most people, not everyone, and I'm not a doctor. You need to do whatever you think is best for you and your doctor says, but this is one of the biggest reasons that I take a multivitamin on a consistent basis. And I encourage most people to take a multivitamin is because it just covers your nutritional basis so that you don't wind up in this situation where you potentially have a chronic nutrient deficiency. So those are the five biochemical triggers that can make uh, that whole physical hunger thing kind of tricky that can make it tricky to determine, wait a minute, is this just a blood sugar roller coaster? Is this a salt and sugar seduction kind of thing? Have I been under eating? You know, whatever. Um, but ultimately, the more we can get in tune with our body's true physical hunger, the more empowered we'll be to make great food choices and to eat until we're full and not past that point. But it does require addressing some of those triggers. Now, next up, number two is your brain. We talked about your body. Let's talk about your brain and how impacts how it impacts your food choices and whether you're eating too much. When we talk about your brain, let's define what we're talking about because we're also going to talk about your emotions. And those can sometimes be kind of, they are interwoven, but they can sometimes be confused with one another. So with your brain, we're talking about your conscious and unconscious thoughts and decisions. Now, here's the truth when it comes to your brain. I told you the truth about your body. Your body doesn't, doesn't want, it doesn't want a craving for a food. It gets what it ultimately needs. Here's the truth about your brain. Your brain has all the power. <laughs> it has all the power. We just don't realize and acknowledge it and train it. Truly, your brain, it's like your best friend and your worst enemy all rolled up into one. When you harness its power, you guys hear me talk about it all the time. You cannot change your body until you first change your brain. When you harness the power of your brain, it will be your best friend and help you accomplish anything you want in life. And when you don't realize and harness its power, you're screwed <laughs> and you're at the mercy of your uncontrolled thoughts. It's like being adrift at sea with no rudder, no steering wheel, and, and, and here comes a storm. You're just floating in along out in the middle of the ocean in some boat, and all you can do is just hold on for dear life and hope your boat doesn't sink. That's what it's like when you don't realize and harness the power of your brain. But when you do, when you do harness that power, and you begin to catch and control and change your thoughts, that's like having a, being in your boat with a rudder and a steering wheel and weather forecast and GPS. 
You can avoid storms and you can steer to calmer water. You are more and more in control of what happens and what doesn't happen. So your brain has all the power. That's the truth of your brain. Now, all that being said, there are three big mental traps with your thought processes that can really screw up your food choices. And I'm going to go over those very quickly. Number one is rigid versus flexible thinking. Uh, so inside my inner circle and in my Live Life Lose Fat program, I teach a flexible framework for eating that's just based on tried and true research and science. What we know works and is great when it comes to food and nutrition. A flexible framework for eating. We work to ingrain and establish this flexible framework. And then after you've done that, after you've put in some of that initial work, we play and we experiment and shift and adjust and see what works best. We're not on or off a wagon. We're riding the waves of life. Man, it seems like I have a lot of ocean analogies, but that's the, that's the fact of the matter. As long as you feel that you're on or off, then you're not flexible. You're rigid. You're rigidly on something or you're off and you're totally off. But that's not the path to success when it comes to eating or controlling your overeating. You have to learn to ride the waves of life. In my coaching group, we allow good choices or the best choice considering the circumstance versus demanding a perfect choice. Now, all of this flows right into the next thing, this rigid and flex versus flexible uh, mindset. And when it comes to our eating, flows right into the next element, which is a right and wrong, good and bad mindset. For many of us, there's a right way and a wrong way to eat, right? Like the, there's a right way to eat and exercise and a wrong way to eat and, and, and not exercise or to live or whatever. Like the right way, I know I have to do, I have to do keto or I have to do Whole30. That's the right way because I read about it and it's the best way and it's the right way. And then with my exercise, I have to do really high intensity. I can't just go for a walk because that's wrong. It's right and wrong. It's good and bad. It's rigid, like I just talked about. And then this flows into your foods. There are good and bad foods. There's no middle ground. There's you, As I just said, we allow good choices or the best choice considering the circumstances versus demanding a perfect choice. When there are good and bad foods, you can't do this. You can't allow a, a good choice or the best choice considering things. No, 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 no. It has to be perfect and everything else is bad. It has to be perfect and exactly on my diet, on my plan, or it's bad. And then suddenly, before you know it, with this right and wrong, good and bad mindset, then you are right or wrong, and you are good or bad. Suddenly, it's not just the food you're eating or your exercise plan that you're doing or not doing. It's you. It's starting to say something about you as a person. And then this inevitably leads to the third thing, the third mental trap that can just absolutely screw you up. And this is one that you guys have heard me talk about over and over, and that's all or nothing. It's the perfection, perfectionism problem. Now, <laughs> this may sound like exaggeration, but I promise it's not. I think I can safely say that when people are experiencing stress with their food and weight loss journey, or when someone is really struggling or feeling discouraged, 98% of the time, it's an all or nothing issue. Now, it may be dressed up and masquerading as something else, but when we really dig down, it's really the bully in their brain. It's the bully in your brain shoving you back toward all or nothing and perfectionism. And time and time again, people tell me 
that overcoming that all or nothing thinking is the thing that they're most thankful for after doing my program and coaching with me. They might have lost 20 or 30 or even 50 or more pounds. And sure, they love that. They're happy that they've lost weight and the scales have gone down and they feel better and they have more energy. They love all of that. But there's something that they love more. And it is overcoming this all or nothing. Here's a quote from a client from just this past week. She said, I love the feeling of enjoying things that I don't normally allow myself knowing that I can just get right back in the routine of things. One thing I greatly appreciate is the freedom I found from the all or nothing thinking since I've been working with you. I also have learned to truly value delicious food and use NWI often. I've talked about NWI on a previous podcast stands for not worth it. Whenever you're eating some delicious decadent food, just ask yourself, is this worth it? Not worth it. So she says, I have also, excuse me. I also have learned to truly value delicious food and use NWI often. Our dinner on Friday and breakfast on Saturday was somewhat disappointing, so I ate just enough to be to not be hungry, and I let the rest go. <laughs> she didn't feel like she had to eat at all. It wasn't all or nothing. It wasn't like, oh, wow, I've, this is my cheat meal, because we don't do cheat meals. I hate that term. So I have to eat all of this. I have to make it count. No, 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 no. She said, I ate just enough to not be hungry, and I let the rest go. She didn't overeat. She said, it just wasn't worth it to me. That is the beauty of being free from all or nothing and perfectionism. And here's the thing, guys. I'd love to give you a simple three-step process to overcome all or nothing and perfectionist mentality, but that's just not how it works. It takes a little time to overcome something that most of us have probably been doing for most of our lives. Its roots and tentacles can run deep, deep in our mentality, deep in our emotions, and deep in our our thought process and our habits, our day-to-day habits. But here's the thing. Please hear me, please. You can beat it, I promise. And the first step, like with everything else, is awareness. Just becoming more aware so that you can see it and catch it when it pops up in your head and your day-to-day behaviors. And one of the biggest ways that you will learn to overcoming all or nothing is by separating yourself from your performance. Your worth, my friend, you beautiful lady, you strong, incredible man, whatever. Your worth, you, your worth is not determined by how you're doing with your diet or what you ate for lunch or how you look in the mirror or how fit you are or are not. Your personal worth is inherent It exists regardless of what you do or don't do or what you eat or don't eat. And if you don't believe me, then let's just get online and do a search and try to find some videos of someone being killed, someone being tortured, and watch those. What? No! Exactly. Because that person, even though you don't know them, even though they may be on the other side of the world, they have worth regardless. You didn't say, you know what, hold on, wait, wait, wait. They might deserve to be tortured. Did, have they been doing well with their diet today? Have they been doing well? Did they get their workout in this morning? Because if not, then just go ahead and torture them. Go ahead, whip them, waterboard them. <laughs> you don't say that because they're a human and they're incredible and they're loved and they have worth. And you, my friend, are exactly the same regardless of how you're doing on your diet or if you've got your workout in. And the more you can realize this, once you begin to detach your personal words from your performance, this frees you to finally become 
a scientist <laughs> to finally be free of all or nothing and perfectionism and to start looking at your life and your decisions kind of like a scientist. I call it, I like to say data over drama or data over damnation, because as long as you're stuck in the all or nothing mindset and perfectionism, it's whether you realize it or not, like every mistake, you're damning yourself. It's like, oh, you're just beating yourself up. Oh, I have no worth. Oh, and you're, you're not looking at data. You're not looking at evidence to go, wait a minute, what's going on here and how can I improve this? Because you get swept into the emotion of damning yourself. You get swept into drama. Drama and emotion and drama and emotion. And when we're emotional and when we're stuck in drama, we can't look at things clearly. We can't see things clearly. So please, maybe take some steps to stop judging yourself and start examining. Stop judging and start examining. Start examining why you're doing what you do and what led to that. Hmm, let me think about this. And when you can do that with a clear head that's not full of a tornado of emotions, then suddenly you're empowered to learn and to move forward in a positive direction. This, my friends, is how you make true progress and truly overcome all or nothing and truly overcome overeating. And as you do, you'll also notice that the rigid, right, wrong, good, bad foods, all of those ideas and thought processes, that it crumbles. And suddenly you're more flexible with your food and you begin to enjoy life more. And you enjoy the process of losing weight, which sounds bizarre, right? Like diets are miserable and workouts are miserable and trying to lose weight is horrible. Can you imagine the process actually being enjoyable? What? <laughs> okay, next up. Wow, this episode's running long. Okay, I gotta, I gotta get going here. Next up, number three, we've talked about your body. We've talked about your brain. Now let's talk about your emotions. Your emotions are a state of mind or a state of feeling, a conscious mental reaction deri deriving or derived from one's circumstances, mood, or relationships with others. That's the official definition. Now, here's the truth about emotion. I told you the truth about your body, the truth about your brain. Here's the truth about emotion. It's rooted in your deeply held beliefs, and it's all about your response. It's not about what happens. It's about your response. Tony Robbins says, whether you love him or hate him, this is brilliant. He says, what counts is not our reality, it's not what happened, but rather our beliefs about it. What counts is not our reality, but rather our beliefs about it. See, there is a tiny gap, and that tiny gap is a powerful, powerful thing. It's the gap, it's the space, it's the tiny little chunk of time between when something happens and then the thought that you have about what just happened. We stress eat or emotional eat because we're feeling something. And the reason we're feeling something is because we told ourselves a story about something that just happened. See, it's not the thing that happened. You cannot put the blame there. It's what zipped through your brain right after that thing happened. You told yourself a story about that event, your reality, and then you created a belief about that reality, and that is what determines how you feel. It's not what happened. It's what you tell yourself about what happened. Let me say it again. It is not the event that happened. It's how you choose to feel about what happened. So the next time you're feeling emotional, trace it back to what actually happened. Like, okay, what are the facts? What event occurred? 
what actually happened in my life. Okay, then trace it back to that. Then move forward and find that gap. Find that tiny little chunk of time between whatever happened and the way you feel. Find that tiny gap where you told yourself something, where you had a thought related to what happened. And if you can choose a different thought, then you will have a different feeling. You will have a different emotion. And guess what? Suddenly, you just might feel better. And you don't want to try to fix things with food. You don't want to stress eat. Now, you may be thinking, well, Corey, that's, that sounds great. But what, what about when I can't choose a different thought? I mean, what do we do when the thing that happened is really bad? It's not just, you know, something, something minor, something with work or, you know, it's, it's not just something where I'm telling myself a story that may not be true. It's not like that. What about when the thing that happened is really bad? Like someone died or your spouse cheated on you or you were fired suddenly from your work or you had just a terrible, terrible emotional argument with a friend, whatever, any of those things. What about when it's really bad? What do we do then? (sighs) That's tough. But here's the thing. You overcome emotional eating and stress eating by doing the very thing that you don't want to do, by choosing the emotion over the food. You choose the reality over the escape because all the food is is a false escape. And there are three steps to this. I've, I've laid these out. Three steps to overcome emotional eating. I did an entire episode on this, but I'm going to go through them quickly. Step number one, you pause and you take it all in. You become aware of what you're feeling and you hear what your brain is telling you. And your brain's probably saying, oh, just go eat that. Oh, it'll make you feel better. Oh, just eat that instead of feeling this. That's step one. Pause. Just pause and take it in. Step two, feel it. In my group, I like to say, feel it, don't kill it. What we perceive as a negative emotion, we want to avoid because we perceive it as pain, right? And we want to kill it. We want to kill that emotion and then try to drown it with some food. But step two, I want you to feel it, jump into it and process the emotion, the stress, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, ultimately some sort of pain, what you perceive as pain. Because here's the thing, if you don't feel and process it now, it doesn't go away. (laughs) It just accumulates and it festers and it will eventually break through the surface somewhere, sometime. So step one, you pause. You take it all in. Step two, you feel it. You don't kill it. You feel the emotion. You jump into it and you work to process it. And then step three, you make a conscious, intentional choice. If after all this, you decide to go ahead and eat that food, to eat that donut, to eat those chips, to eat that piece of cake, whatever, You decide to keep eating, to overeat. If you consciously decide to do that and it's an intentional choice, that's okay. At least it's your choice. At least it was intentional. And it's a package deal. You get everything that comes with it. You get the temporary escape, but you also get the repressed emotion that is added to a pile of other emotions that you're trying to avoid. And then you get, unfortunately, the shame or guilt that comes later. I don't want you to experience that, but that's just the way it normally happens. But... Here's the thing, at least you're beginning this practice of slowing down, pausing, and practicing the first part of this process. But on the flip side, if you get to step three, and with your conscious intentional choice, you choose to not eat that food, then you choose something else to replace it. 
Don't just say, oh, I'm not going to have those chips. I'm not going to overeat. I'm not going to whatever. Don't, don't, don't just leave it empty. Replace it with something. Take a brisk walk. Do a quick little workout. Call up a friend and have a, have a conversation and just get out whatever's bothering you. Maybe have a cup of tea. Warm cup of tea. Research shows that just holding a warm mug of liquid produces feel-good chemicals in your body. Just holding the warm mug, even if you don't drink it. Maybe you should eat some other food. Maybe you just, there's just kind of an oral fixation where you just want to chew something. So choose some different food. Maybe for you it's prayer or meditation. Anything. Just fill that gap. Fill that space with anything that will tend to your brain and body. But be ready Because here's the thing, this is not a magic trick. It's not like, oh, I really wanted chocolate cake, but I just held a warm mug of tea and I'm perfectly okay. (laughs) No, this is not a magic trick. The emotion doesn't just magically poof, disappear. It still must be processed. So whatever you choose should be seen as the vehicle for processing what you're feeling. Those are the three steps, my friend, when it comes to emotional and stress eating. Pause, take it all in then feel that emotion. Don't kill it. Jump into it. Begin to process it. And then step three, make a conscious, intentional choice. Whether you choose the food or you don't. Man, this has been maybe the longest episode ever. I hope it's been helpful. Look, guys, let's do a quick little wrap up. There are three major things that impact all of your food choices and whether or not you overeat at a particular time. Number one, your body. Number two, your brain. Number three, your emotions. And they are all interwoven and connected. And the intersection of these is where all your food choices come from. So you maybe begin to ask yourself, are you actually physically hungry? Or might one of the other biochemical triggers that I talked about be impacting your food choices? Might one of those be at play and you need to address that? Or could it be your brain? Could your brain and your thought patterns be sabotaging you? Are you stuck in a rigid, good, bad, on, off, all or nothing diet mentality? And if so, then you can be sure this will lead to periods of overeating and you making poor food choices sometimes for days and days at a time. And last, but maybe most importantly, is what we just discussed. Are you taking steps to control your emotions? Are you stepping into that tiny gap and choosing your thought your response to something that happened instead of just letting yourself get sucked into that whirlwind automatically. And if that's happening, if you're just getting swept into emotions, then ultimately you're probably going to try to drown things with food. You can choose your thoughts and you can also choose to feel a certain emotion instead of attempting to numb yourself with food. Guys, this is such a deep and complex topic, like I mentioned at the very beginning. I tried to do my best to pack these 30, 35 minutes full and to really give you some powerful information and strategies that you can use, but it's deep. I hope that it's been beneficial. I hope that it's been helpful. If this episode was helpful and you enjoyed it, then I think you will absolutely love my two free resources, my Catalyst Audio Program or my free anti-diet class. Both of these, like I said, are totally free. You can find the links in the show notes. As I wrap up, don't ever forget that your worth is inherent. You're amazing and have incredible worth, regardless of how you're doing on your diet and regardless of what the scales say, because you're more than just a number. You're more than a number on that machine that sits in your bathroom. So don't let it dominate your headspace or dictate your emotions. And losing weight's incredible, and I hope this episode will help you do that. But losing weight 
is really all about gaining life. And guys, I know you can do it. I know you can. I know you can overcome stress eating. I know you can overcome overeating. You can move away from overeating and you can take control of your food choices. I know you can do it. I believe in you 100%. And even if you don't believe in yourself, that's okay. You keep coming back. I'll keep working on you and we'll get you there. Take care, my friends. God bless. Bye-bye.